1: This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. This is our Friday edition, so we've got a long list of news to talk about today. So stay with us. I would like to remind everybody that Victor is the Martin and Neely Anderson Senior Fellow in Military History and Classics at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Busky Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. You can find him at victorhansen.com. The name of the website is The Blade of Perseus please come join us. It is free and you'll be on our newsletter and there's lots of free stuff at the website and you can join us for $5 a month or $50 a year. And it's a great deal. There's lots of material that comes with that subscription called VDH Ultra Articles. So come join us. Stay with us and we'll be right back to talk about DeSantis announcing his presidential
0: more confident, capable surgeons, and even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies.
1: welcome back Victor I'd like to start off with something positive I think DeSantis's announcement that he is going to be in the running as a as a presidential candidate was a good thing so maybe we can start with him he did it on Twitter with um, Elon Musk and David Sachs the CEO I believe of Twitter and there's been lots of discussion about that, whether it was a good forum to start out on and whether his agenda as the um, Florida governor is going to translate to the national level And, and what they've been branding him as is a cultural warrior.
2: Yes. Well, where to start? He got a lot of criticism because the Twitter window was... Uh, I guess could accommodate initially a hundred thousand visitors and they had over a million good in the sense that there was a lot of interest bad in the sense that if you're going to have this new tech platform, i.e. you're not going to go on network news or the Washington press club to announce your candidacy, then you've got some of the biggest tech people in the world around you and you want to be flawless. That said, Victor Hansen out in uh, Selma, California, just saw the clips, right, when yes. it was working. So I don't know the psychodramas and melodramas of the first 15 minutes. Only a million people do that didn't have trouble, right? But there's 330 million people in the country and probably 200 million will find out through the filters of the media what Ron DeSantis said. So that that psychodrama should be only important that it not be repeated, but it didn't have any material effect. The other thing, um, I think, in a way, DeSantis' team, they're kind of selling them sh- sense sh- their, themselves short in this sense. They somehow, if you think about it historically, they took Florida and in every category of economic, social, cultural, Development, political development. They revolutionized it. That used to be the bellwether state. Remember the 2000 election when we had the hanging chads that that election showed you that it was a at best a purple state. The Supreme Court was left. wing Everything about that state was not pure red. It was considered southern, but more cosmopolitan people from New York. Part of it was COVID. Part of it was the reaction of the lockdowns. Part of it was the reaction to George Floyd. Part of it was the Zoom culture. But it has been a it has it's been a haven, the free, and we even use that Game of Thrones term, the free state of Florida. What, what I'm getting at in this laborious, cumbersome analogy is that Ron Santos performed a miracle. There's no taxes there, and they have less debt. That we, when here in California, we're facing 32 billion, billion, billion dollars with 13.3 income tax rate. We have half the country's homeless. We have the highest poverty rate, but they don't have that. So my point is that he won by a million votes. He was a congressman. People didn't even know who he was. So what and he came and got elected and he performed a miracle. But when he talks about uh you know, the arguments with Disney or critical race theory, he's he's he is caricatured as a culture anti-woke warrior, you know, that here's where woke comes to die, new sheriff in town, end of the day, that kind of stuff. But he's not. He he has a national model, of what he can do for the whole country. If Ron DeSantis says, I'm going to do for the United States what we did for Florida, we have a winning formula that we've hammered out in the most difficult of circumstances. We weathered the lockdown. We weathered the George Floyd riots. We've weathered the hysteria about COVID and the day and the actual damage it did. We understand the Zoom culture. We understand we're getting all of these people from blue states, and yet we've still remain we have a paradigm. And we make good appointments. And my God, I think that would be a winning message rather than let the left or, or, or Trump people stereotype he was fighting with Disney. I think, And this is coming from someone who really supports his fight with Disney because I think Disney had a 40-square-mile 40, 40 medieval enclave that they ruled by fiat, which was okay as long as they didn't get involved in politics. But when they thought they were going to manipulate the new woke movement or ride the crest of the woke wave, then they should give up their special prerogatives that other corporations don't enjoy. So that was one thing. That was my reaction that he he needs to uh, really delineate, remind, refresh all the things he's done in Florida that can be transferred and are transferable to the national level. The other thing is, uh, I think they are developing and you know trump has developed an anti-desantis and but it's mostly as i understand it right and i haven't talked to people in the trump campaign it's based on two strategies one he's disloyal because trump endorsed him and therefore he won his first term and without trump he wouldn't be there that there's some truth to that but we all I mean, was I disloyal to my thesis advisor when we would get in huge arguments? Was I disloyal to some professors that urged me to continue studying classical languages when I thought they were wrong? I don't know. I mean, we it's a free country, so I don't know. I don't I don't think it's disloyal to run in an open election. To attack him or do something like that would be disloyal. The other argument is that he's too conservative. Have you noticed that, Sammy? He's being attacked by the on the left that He's cutting Social Security. He's unusually restrictive on abortion. He's too much of a deficit hawk. He goes after corporate America too much. I don't think that's going to work. I really don't. Now, his strategy, go ahead. I don't know
1: if it's going to- I I yeah I know I was just because it's funny you should say that I just was reading an article in the Spectator by Daniel McCarthy and he said guy. exactly he said exactly that that uh DeSantis may run to the right of Trump and he then you know he gave the social reasons why Trump is perhaps more center than DeSantis. Yeah, is. I
2: think the strategy that he has is that by allowing him to be positioned by Trump or by himself, either one or both, as to the right of Trump, then he has a better chance of retaining the Trump mega base, A, but personality-wise, because he's not going to get into the Twitter wars or social media wars or ad hominem, he, can, he has a better chance to appeal to the independent voter. I think that's part of the strategy, and then on the actual, how do you deal with the elephant in the room? I don't. I mean that the enormous, charismatic and and the dominant force of Donald Trump, and I think from what I glean, and I, again, I'm I'm just being empirical. I think his message is we're looking ahead now. We don't want to refight wars of all the mistreatment, the maltreatment. The horrible disinformation, misinformation, personal attacks they they waged on Trump. But the way to get back at them, the way to get back at them is not play into their hands and call them names. It's to get even, even, not mad, even through legislative winning elections, winning elections. And he made that point. And I think he was saying that Donald Trump lost the popular vote in 2016. Donald Trump lost. Uh, the popular vote in the stint that a president's responsible in 2018, he lost the popular vote in 2020. And the Republicans won that popular vote in 2022, but didn't do as well as they should have. And he says that, you know, we've got to concentrate on the future and winning. We have to get even, not mad. And these attacks on Trump are also, as, as Trump says, attacks on all of us, but we can't give them any margin of error. Because it's so close, and they have such enormous resources, they have all the institutions as we've talked about in the past. They have the money, and uh, so I think that's what's happening. I think it's going to be valuable to have this his race. As far as the other candidates go, um, I think Mike Pompeo saw that 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 it wasn't going to work for him. He's a very bright, good guy, but the other and he's been Secretary of State. So I think that a Nikki Haley or Tim Scott or others or Chris Christie or whoever they are, they're running for kind of like we saw with the Democratic field, that they were running either for high cabinet positions or vice presidencies or something. I don't know, but I don't yes. I think it's going to and then we're going to have the same mechanics or dynamics that we saw in 2016, whereas all of the non-Trump candidates. Everybody and all of the never Trumpers, they kept saying if they can just unite, they have more uh, aggregate votes than Donald Trump does, who did not get 51 percent of the primary vote. But saying that and doing that is very hard because every each person says what well, they should yes. unite. Us. No, they shouldn't. They should all Victor. You should. You, you, let's just settle our difference and unite around Sammy. No, Sammy, let's settle our difference and unite <laughs> around Victor. And so that was the problem. They had too many egos in there, to quote Kipling, too yes. many egos. And so yeah. I will see if at some critical mass, a Christie or a Haley or a Scott or a Hutch, whoever they are say, you know what? We're going to unite or maybe they don't. Maybe they feel more akin to Donald Trump. I don't know. But that's going mm-hmm. to be so, that's going to be something to watch. And on the left, Daniel.
1: I, I did... yeah. Oh, go ahead. Well, Daniel... I was just going to finish Daniel McCarthy's um, article actually finished up by saying that the voters may prefer Trump's somewhat anti-democratic somewhat anti-republican appeal does that make sense to you
2: it does i think he's he's a very bright guy daniel mccarthy and i think what he's saying is that we still that all of the abuses that we watched under biden the destruction of the border you know that homeland security destruction of the border The complete weaponization and politicalization and warping of the DOJ, the IRS, the CIA, the FBI, the so-called deep state, the whole court system, the whole Washington swamp, the bureaucracies, Anonymous, the retired generals and their rannings, the Pentagon, all of that has one thing in common. It's not necessarily Democratic or Republican. It's the permanent administrative state. And to slay that dragon, you need somebody completely divorced from it. Uh, it's mitigated somewhat because Ronda Santos is what? He's a, a governor. He's way down there in Florida. And he was a congressman, but he wasn't a lifelong politician. So he can mitigate that somewhat. And then Donald Trump also has to come back and say, you know what? I'm smarter this time because the first time... I didn't know what the F was going on because I didn't. I thought these people would rally to my cause. But the people who did rally to my cause that I appointed wanted to undermine my agendas. I didn't know that John Bolton was an interventionist abroad. And I I gave him the national security position. I didn't know the secretary of defense didn't agree with me on all of his issues. I didn't know how crazy Scaramucci was. I didn't know what a nut Omaroso was. I didn't know that the G- mad genius Steve Bannon was, you know, attacking me, that kind of stuff. And yeah. so that was people's reservation. So he's going to, I think that's the downside of having a complete outsider. But um, I wrote a column, oh, 2017, said Trump should hang up his Twitter gloves, boxing gloves, and retire from the ring of social media. And I think, although, Social media is very valuable and that he's very effective on it. I don't think it helps him. I think he's got a secure base. I think there's the Republican Party of 46 percent, 47 percent of the nation. Uh, it, beyond the 25 percent base, the other 20 percent says, you know, these are the people I talk to. I don't like him. I don't like his tweets, but I will sure as hell vote for him, if it's between him and a Clinton or a Biden or somebody like that. But that's 46, percent. And so where do you pick up the extra three to five? You can peel off Latino voters maybe on some of these issues. L.A. Dodgers are sure helping on that issue. And you can, might be able to peel off some African-Americans that don't really believe that Florida is a racist state or some crazy things or reparations or something like that. But ultimately, you need the suburban independent voter, four to five percent and you're not going to get that voter unless things get down to annihilation level i mean they're not going to vote for donald trump unless they feel they're buried life we're getting close but when they feel that they're not safe driving into San Francisco or Chicago or New York, or they feel their kids are in danger at school or they can't ride public transportation or they will vote for Donald, but they're not there yet. I don't know if we're going to get there. So he's yeah. got to, he's got to appeal to that group and he's not these, you know, these, and then we get into the lawsuits and. You, the impact they're going to have. It's yeah, going to be Bra- pretty- Bra- Bra- Yeah. Bragg announced that he's going to wait till March of two thousand. 24. They're they they're delaying them now. They're thinking, you know what? We gave him a little. We gave him enough empathy. He's got that big lead. That was the point. But we don't want to shoot our wad before the election. We want him to be nominated. So let's push back these indictments, slow down so that once we get to the new year, we're going to let Brag carry for 10 yards. He's going to lateral to Letita James, she's going to go 10 yards. Then she's going to lateral to Willis Allen, Georgia. Then she's going to um, lateral to Smith and the special prosecutor. And we can do this all the way to the election. That's the plan. And, uh,
1: Sounds like a rug. Sounds like a rugby game,
2: <laughs> or football, rugby. I don't know what it is, but it it's pretty it's pretty transparent. It's the 2016 playbook. It bit him in the rear end in 2016 because Trump won the electoral college. The other thing is, but this thing about I think DeSantis is really going to stress this thing about viability and winning because if you look at it, and I addressed this in the Dying Citizen, I had a chapter on it. The Republican Party at the national level has not won 51% of the vote since 1988, 88, it's 35 years. So George HW Bush got 51% against Mike Dukakis. When he ran again, Perot, Mm -hmm. he did not, he got about 42%. He lost in 92. When Bob Dole ran against Bill Clinton, he lost. He didn't get 50%. When we got into 2000, George W. won the election, but he didn't get 51 percent. He got about I think it was 49.5 or something when he went up for reelection. He beat John Kerry, but 50.2 barely beat him, did not get 51 percent. They surely. John McCain didn't get it in 2008. Mitt Romney did not get it in 2012. Donald Trump did not get 51% in 2016. He did not get it in 2020. You, Reagan you know, blew them away. So at all those 10 years that I just described were periods where the Republicans, especially in the Tea Party movement, made enormous strides. They took over 1,400 local and state offices during the Obama re-election period. Mm -hmm. So they were doing something right on the local and state and something very wrong at the national level. And that wrong was they were doing two things wrong. They were appealing to the Paul Ryan corporate Republican mindset, which there weren't enough of them that are easily caricatured as greedy and rich bastards by the left. And then second, the anecdote to that was often hysterical, and they didn't have, you know, great candidates at the at the you know in the national midterms and the, and the presidency. I don't think John McCain was a good candidate. I don't think Mitt Romney was a good candidate, mm-hmm. and it didn't. And so that was a problem. So they're gonna. And then the other thing is, look, they've lost. Uh, was it six out of the last, or is it seven out of? last? We can count them. They lost uh, the popular. I mean, they lost the popular vote. They lost the popular vote in 2020. They lost the popular vote in 2016. They lost the popular vote in 2012. They lost the popular vote in 2008. They lost the popular vote in 2000. They lost the popular vote in nineteen ninety-six they lost the popular vote in nineteen ninety-two so that's seven out of the last eight elections they lost the popular vote. The only person that won the popular vote in that entire period was George H. W. Bush.
1: But the question is can that and be he, and he
2: and he, he only did that in 2004. Well yeah. Yeah. you have to you have to get a good candidate, a Reagan like candidate. And you have to run a wise campaign and you have to have issues that have 51 of, percent of the electorate. So look at the issues now. It's setting up good for the Republicans in that sense. The border, do they want people want secure legal only immigration? Yes. By about 70 percent. Do they think that Biden screwed up the economy and we have unnecessarily high gas, high inflation high interest? Yes. Do they feel that we're too racially divisive and we want to go back to content of our character? Rather? Yes. Do they feel that the whole Soros jurisprudence experiment was dangerous and crime is out of control? Yes. Do they feel that we unnecessarily drained the, Supreme, the petroleum reserve, gave up energy autonomy, lost the Middle East, basically, and are paying way too much for oil? Yes. Do they feel that the Pentagon and our foreign policy are run amok, that we had the greatest humiliation in 50 years in Afghanistan? We don't know what the hell we're doing in Ukraine. Yes. And I mean that literally, because this president said we're not going to give them. No, you cannot give them Abrams tanks. Just not going to do it. He did. Oh, we're not going to give them F-16. Are you crazy? Give him F-16. He did. He doesn't know what he's doing. And uh, you start conducting offensive operations as they're doing right now along the border, but you give them 100 F-16s. And if you're in a war and Russia keeps sending missiles and planes into your territory and you, it'll be like Vietnam, you can't win the war unless you go into the other person's territory. The problem is this isn't Vietnam because the other person's territory, North Vietnam, was non-nuclear. This is a nuclear country. So to win this war, they're going to have to take U.S. equipment or NATO equipment and stage raids or air missions in strike inside Russia. Russia. Yeah. And that's stupid. That's a nihilistic. So it has to have a negotiated settlement. But my point is that the issues are all on their side They've, and yeah. the, can- the candidates are on their side because look what they're dealing with. They're dealing with Kamala Harris who's, I think her, I, I I misspoke last time. I said her vocabulary is 500 words. It's shrunk to about 350. And <laughs> or that, something and like that. <laughs> now she's emulating uh, Joe Biden. You know, everybody makes fun of Joe Biden's speech, you know, when he was, hey, Sammy, come over here. <laughs> I'd like to <laughs> blow in your ear a little bit. Ha <laughs> But now she's, did you see that interview with Brittany Griner, the basketball player? Oh, I just, yeah, oh, so just want to say that you look like me. I, it was just it was it was emulating yeah. the worst traits of Joe Biden. I didn't, she is completely off her, the, her rocker. And then you've got yes. Joe Biden. And as I keep saying, he's failing at a geometric rate. I don't I don't see how he's going to continue. I mean, I've had long COVID for a year on my worst day of long COVID. I, and I'm 16. I seem like Superman compared to him. And I have you some have empathy. empathy oh, go for ahead. Him. I don't know how he does it. He, I know he sleeps. He probably takes Adderall, whatever. But it's pathetic that the Japanese prime minister, the Mexican president, anywhere he goes, they have to shepherd him around. And yeah. Should to be back to up or... what
1: you're saying, Victor, I, I had this for later in the show, but since we're right here on top of it, we might as well look at. There was a Harvard Harris poll that came out about mid-May, and they say almost exactly what you did. They they asked the voters that they. Um, that were their subjects um the most important issues to them and in order of most important it was inflation immigration economy by way of jobs guns and national debt and the only one that the Democrats have there is is guns but guns might mean that there are people who want to be sure they can be armed right NRA things and then for they the other thing though that I was going to, point out to you is that most of the voters say race should not be a factor in justice, college admissions, and medical school, but way far above each one of those questions. It was 60% more to 70%. I, I'm very worried thing. about,
2: I'm very worried. I have a lot of friends in the black community. I have no, there's no, I don't, I can say I don't have an ounce of prejudice in myself, but I'm very worried for racial relations because what is happening now is on the elite end, the elite end, the beneficiaries of set-asides or whatever, there is anger that's unjustified. So when you hear Oprah give a – I listened to Oprah's graduation speech she just gave, and I collated it with what she gave in 2018 at another one. The other one was for ecumenicalism and tolerance and unity and integration and assimilation. This one wasn't. This, you would have thought that Oprah was a homeless person that had been deprived of her civil rights, this billionaire person. And when you, when you look at that view and you see all of those people that are very wealthy and Joey Behar, some African Whoopi goldberg, and all they talk about is white supremacy, or you see Mark uh, Millie or Lloyd all, all of this. So you have the elite of white and black talking about how angry and unfair the United States is to black people. And then on the other end of the inner city, you have record mayhem and death. You, there's a whole cottage industry. Just turn on your internet and a little ad comes up about what smash and grab in Chicago, a swarming of a park, a disruption of an armed forces day, a Compton takeover of this uh twerking on a police car the subway killing and and it's you know i don't think people understand they thought this was going to be the next george floyd the activist did cause but you know when the average person looks at this and said my god the man was arrested 42 times well he, we 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 poorly served him the, the, no you didn't you gave him 10, 20 types of rehabilitation, you gave him a free pass out of prison, you unleashed him on the public. He broke a person's nose. He almost blinded another person. He threatened it. He was charged with lewd conduct, and he had every chance in the world. So don't tell me that. He He chose to do that. Oh, well, his mother was violently killed. Yeah, that happens a lot. A lot of people lose children. A lot of people lose parents, but they don't do that. And then his uncle weighs in and says, Well, this is terror. And then you look at, well, the uncle, he's been arrested 70 times. Seventy. He has three outstanding warrants. They just caught him with somebody with an illegal knife and credit card. So it's it's just you know, and you have a guy, it's, in, in New, it's a guy in New Orleans, he's going out and working on a mailbox and two black guys go up and, and execute him. Say we wanted to kill a white person. You got a doctor riding on a bicycle down in Newport and Orange County. They execute him and said, I hated white people. So what I'm getting at is there's a rise in interracial, it's still rare, and hate crimes. And it's African-Americans are disproportionately represented, but on the elite they're saying that it's unfair and we don't, but they're very well off. So, and I guess, you know, you come to the point of absurdity when the NAACP has a boycott of Florida and says it's a travel advisory when there's 3.3 million blacks who are doing wonderfully in Florida. It's got the second highest number of black businesses and the chairman of the board of the NAACP lives in Florida. So, What does he, he issues a helps to issue a travel advisory. And what's he saying? (laughs) Hey, if you come to my house, I got to advise you that when you fly in to see my nice Florida place, be careful. And then you got reparations, $800 billion. It's not like the Japanese internment. The Japanese internment under Reagan, they said $20,000 only, only, only for people who were actually at a place like Manzanar, right? And that was because of actual... This is not eight generations ago. The Japanese American community didn't say, eight generations ago, my great-great-great-great-great-grandparents were injured by your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents, and I want three million bucks and a free house. They didn't do that. And so it's so beyond the shark, push the envelope, $800 billion when California was never a slave state. It's got $32 $32 billion in, in an annual debt. And then when pressed upon that, the head of the reparations, quote, unquote, committee. Well, we're willing to take we're willing to be paid on the installment plan. Okay, <laughs> That's nice of you. So you want 27 percent of the state who wasn't born in the United States to pay you when your crime rate. And I say you and your because you're talking in collectives. See, the problem with this whole racial thing is when you start talking in collectives and you say blacks, whites, then you assume responsibility for the entire particular group because you have self-identified as a member of the group. So when you say we we need reparations because we are black, then you're taking responsibility. Then people saying, well, there were twenty one trillion dollars in I don't know redistributive uh, great entitlement, great society programs. Since Lyndon Johnson, a lot of them went inordinately to your group, or your group is committing hate crimes at double your percentages in the general population, or the group that you say is so supremacist is dying at twice their numbers in Iraq in combat. Is that fair? Or your group that you say is underrepresented is represents seven times. Six and a half times their numbers in the general population and professional sports with, you know, multi-million dollar salary. So you don't want to go down there, but yet that's where we're going. And so that's not sustainable. And people are going to get very angry. And I don't mean white people. I'm talking about Hispanic people, white people, Asian people, and some black people. And, And you want to say to a Whoopi Goldberg, can't you just go on TV and not say the word white? You're so obsessed with it. Why do you say white? You just, is it fixated in your mind? Have you been cheated or you're not making enough money on the view? Uh, what's wrong? Why are you so angry that you have to just completely reinvent yourself from what ghost or your earlier color purple into this person who see it's, it's very different than what it used to be when people were trying to get along and, you know, yeah, yeah it's i don't think it's sustainable and it's it's not going to end well and
1: yeah and i think that a lot of people are noticing it so this harris harvard poll um got statistics that were overwhelmingly on justice but you know what i wanted to also just point out to you in that poll that they did favorable most favorable political figures and least favorable i saw that and that was very interesting because the most favorable had from top to lower right elon musk donald trump Mm -hmm. ron desantis DeSantis. so the two of the the republican candidates are right at the top and then you know Joe,
2: joe biden and kamala harris were way at the bottom
1: no, wait a second, though. But right below Don Ron DeSantis was Bernie Sanders, I know. Then Joe, Joe Biden and then Hillary Clinton and then Kamala Harris. So all four of those Democrats were there and Bernie was the top of them.
2: That's because the elite, Republicans oh, always spoke highly of Bernie because they knew he had no chance because he was an out and out commie. <laughs>
1: I guess. (laughs) And he had the
2: name Bernie. Even Trump said, oh, they they cheated Bernie out of the nomination because everybody (laughs) hated Hillary so much. He was the foil to Hillary. Well,
1: the the most unfavorable is interesting because uh, while Donald Trump was second in favorable, he was still up there in unfavorable because he has very high negatives. Yeah, he had both. But anyways, in order of besides Putin, Putin was way up there at unfavorable at seventy one. You know what? I, I'll, I'll tell you why. He has <laughs> a little... a fa- I can tell okay. you. Oh,
2: okay. good. Because this has happened to me. 20 times the last three years. I get an email from some person. I have no idea who they are. I do not know how they get my email. There's some angry academic or some passive aggressive. And they said, hey, Professor Hanson, have you seen this? And they send like an academic peer-reviewed article, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of used to write all the time. And as I said in an earlier broadcast, they get delight because it says, well, what they do is, if it's on hoplite warfare or ancient Greek agrarianism, they quote my argument, and they even actually dig out some of the the research I did, primary sources in Greek and Latin, and they use those as footnotes as if they're there on. But then they cover their tracks by saying, although Hansen uh, although Hansen has proposed this, uh, his analysis is in line with his contemporary political leanings or his endorsement of Donald Trump. It's that. And so my or I will go uh I'll go in an airport. And most people are right, but some guy will come up to me and goes, Well, I just want to tell you that I really enjoyed the soul of battle. And I even read Carnage and Culture. I like World War Two, but you know what? I threw them against the wall because of what, and I and I thought, wow, I've had I won't mention relatives. You have one last chance to redeem yourself. We want you to go on national television and confess all of your sins and spring that on your Fox crony host. And if you're doing that, you're (laughs) welcome back into the familial tribe. I've had friends that I've known for, you know, 30 years, 40 years. Uh, Hello, how are you? Oh, or I'll walk by somebody, I'll see them in a store in Fresno and they turn the other way. It's So weird. I've had people that I've been collaborated with that don't speak to me. It's and and you know what I I see somebody who's I know well and is completely whacked out on woke and I'm still very friendly to them. I still have former students that have gone completely woke that I have no problem with, but it's weird any
1: they the, they love to love you and they love to hate you. That's kind of the Donald Trump. Thing because, I don't know.
2: Hey, I don't have the I hope but, I don't have negatives like Donald Trump, but I don't care if I do. <laughs> but
1: you want to see where he stands here because it is interesting in this most unfavorable politician order. Uh, yeah. Joe Biden's first, Hillary Clinton's second, Mitch McConnell is third, and then Kamala Harris, and then Donald Trump. So all of the Democrats are top of the most Joe Biden I,
2: I mean how could you not be how could you be favorable if you look at Joe Biden and what he's done he's systematically destroyed this country and if so you can't be favorable but if you look at his decrepitness decrepitude excuse me grammarians and you see how much he struggles there's a natural empathy and you feel guilty even you know suggesting that he's non-composmentos, but then when he opens his mouth and out comes venom and snark and rudeness, hey, fat, hey, fat, hey, junkie, hey, you ain't black. Hey, boy, I got a boy over here. When you see that racist and mean-spirited, and then you think, and you look at those earlier clips when he was demagoguing Clarence Thomas, then you... You have no empathy for him because it's not yeah. his a he's that way. He was always a mean SOB, an opportunist and a complete fabricator, whether it was stealing Neil Koenig's, uh speeches from Britain or padding his resume or lying. He said the other day that his son died in Iraq, he said the yes. other day, his son. Yeah. I mean, you should never, ever, ever. Tell truth about a child that's lost. You just never do that. It's just using the dead for your own empathy, and, and especially in a political context. And then when you, when he did that about his wife and he destroyed, basically destroyed the life of a truck driver who tried to avoid her when she pulled out in an intersection and accused him of being drunk for 20 years as he rode that on the campaign trail. He's That was despicable. And how he got a pass, how he got a pass, in today's climate, remember Senator Hirono, yes. women women must be believed, women must be believed. And all of a sudden, she didn't, she's lying. Tar-Reed, you know, it was like, okay, he, he sexually digitally penetrated her. She to, he told her mother, she told her mother about it. her mother called into a radio station. She told her friends about it. Okay, she lied. Okay, so they all lie or just that one and that's that's what is so exasperating about biden that guy mm-hmm. has been a beneficiary of every liberal piety and platitude and he's returned it with snark and sarcasm and mean-spiritedness and he's a total grifter whether it's renting little his uh Home parts of his home to Secret Service agents or parading around naked in front of female Secret Service people. There's nothing good about that guy. And that is coming across people don't. This is a long, windy answer again to why he, you said he's so unpopular. Yeah. And that's because people feel that he's not a nice person. And the age has nothing to do with that. Mitch McConnell is unpopular because the democrats don't like him because there's a republican and the republicans don't like him uh because he he's sort of a paul ryan fixture but more importantly he's compromised they feel he's a multi-billionaire for, through his wife's shipping company and he's he does weird things i mean he did he had a big campaign chest whether you like care uh Kerry lake or whether you like uh you know dr oz brooke. or whether you uh, like Ma- brooke, Bla- yeah, brooke blake M- masters Bl- blake mcmaster masters blake masters it, whether yeah, you like them or blake not they're, they're on your team right and they're in close races yeah. so you drain the senate coffers to help them so you can get a majority and he didn't do that and so,
1: But he didn't know. like people that were so close to Trump. That was why. But Victor, let's go ahead and take a break and then come back and we yeah. can finish this off and then turn to corporate policy and its rollback. Stay mm-hmm. with us and we'll be right back. Welcome back. Um, we are um, our our flagship for this show is John Solomon's Just the News. So I highly recommend um, go to John Solomon's site. He is an investigative reporter and he is in D.C., so he has lots of access. And he's usually, especially these days, with the investigations going on in the um, in the House, he's brings out a lot of evidence on um, government. Collusion, I guess you would have to say. Well, he's been
2: very good on this latest caper, the IRS, yeah, whistle- the whistleblowers IRS. that yeah. they keep coming out of the woodwork,
1: yes. And but let's turn, Victor, to um, you had a uh, article that just came out, I believe it was with American Greatness. It's called The Left Has Pushed the Envelope, and you look at a lot of the corporate, um businesses that have had to either roll back or maybe they're not rolling back in the case of Disney, I would say, but the LA Dodgers and Target, some of their um, policies on transgenderism, in particular, I, I just want to note one thing and then I'll let you tell it, tell us um, your views that, that I didn't realize Disney had a animated um movie out called Strange World at Christmas Time and they spent 180 million on it and they only made worldwide 28 million on it and then they just sort of tucked it under and and didn't want anybody to know about it they had a um a a biracial transgendered character, I think, or, or, or homosexual character in it. And I guess it didn't go over very well with um, people. But anyways, um, to your article and the push, the envelope.
2: Well, it, when you have a two party system, then when the party takes power, they, they implement their agenda and the conservatives are not always, but basically small smaller government. More rather than less likely, though, and I'm not sure lately, to be physically responsible. Uh, promotion of liberty rather than equity. And live and let live. And Democrats feel that if you give them, just give them the magic ring, then they can control everything and they'll do it. They'll do good. and They won't be corrupted. But I'm being, I'm not, maybe I'm unfair to the left, but those are differences. But this left has come in. And I didn't know the proper. I've used an art the term from, you know, happy days. Jump the shark, you know, where Fonzie. I think he was. They were so desperate for uh, a new, a new wrinkle to that uh, tired series. After a while, he, they have him skiing over a plastic shark or something. They say, "Well, wow, he jumped the shark," meaning this is so ridiculous that. And it's kind of like push the envelope. You just take it to the maximum extent, the extreme that becomes ridiculous. So all of these issues. So you take Bud. Okay, so these corporate people, they do what? What is Bud? What is Target? What is the LA Dodgers? What does Disney do? They hire people out of the school of businesses. They don't do what small businesses do. It's not Mr. Joe Plumber who works his rear end off and then he hires two plumbers and five plumbers. And when he's 60, he has a plumbing business that he has five guys that he runs or, you know, or the Ruiz family in California that make this huge uh, tortilla empire, hands-on company. They hire out of the MBAs and they're all woke. So we had this ridiculous person come in to Bud Light, and she had this idea that Bud Light was a bunch of old white guys that are all going to die off, and the new transgender crowd, or the people who approve of radical transgenderism would be their new constituency. So, in other words, she'd never been in the real world. She'd never been to Bakersfield, or she'd never been to Ogden, Utah, or any of that. Okay. And she destroyed the, the brand by putting this Mulvaney character and Think about it. If you look at that commercial, it was more about him. He was promoting himself as a transgendered virtue uh, signaling performance artist. The Bud Light was just incidental. Nobody who saw that commercial thought that Mr. Mulvaney was a chronic Bud Light drinker. Did you? I would. No. <laughs> you saw that and you thought that S O B has never drank drunk one Bud Light. So he destroyed, he caused a multi-billion dollar loss, 25%. And, uh, and then you go into Disney and the, the crew, the wrecking crew in Disney, whether, you know, these movies that you mentioned or the transgendered or critical race theory, nobody ever said, wow, we, we appeal to people of all classes and races, but our, our basic appeal is families, They come to a place where they feel comfortable and they can get away from popular culture in its pernicious form. And so we have all these traditional cartoons and all these wonderful things. And what do they do? They start entering Florida politics. And then somebody says, well, wait a minute. You have 40 square miles of a sanctuary where you have a private medieval kingdom. Kind of like, you know. During the Habsburgs, you're one of these private monarchies or principalities and you get to do whatever you want. And it's all based on the fact that you provide a a public service in a unique way, but you don't interfere in what we do. But now you're interfering in what we do. So we're going to make you the same as other corporations. And they destroy that. They're destroying their, their brand. And then the Dodgers, you know, Greater Los Angeles has about 12 to 14 million people, if you consider the whole metropolitan area. About 6 million are either Mexican-American or uh, Central American, uh, and I mean Central American nationals or Mexican nationals. And they are overwhelmingly, whether they're observant or not, Catholic- And of all the sports that appeals to them is baseball, because baseball is a national pastime in those countries in a way that football and basketball is not quite. So what does the L.A. Dodgers do? They get these sisters of perpetual blah, 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 whatever they are, and they take them in there and they flip flop and they put them there. And what are they known for? They you know, the left said, well, they were advocates for AIDS. No, they weren't. They made their name as street artists that use obscenity and pornography to deprecate Catholic ritual, the Christian faith, the Holy Trinity, whether it was simulated sex acts or putting Jesus on the cross in sexually humiliating positions. That's what they did to shock people among their little San Francisco cadre, which spread to other states. So now you're going to take these people and you're going to give them a platform. And you're going to do it right in front of this traditional audience, which is your bread and butter. You are pushing the envelope. If you want to quietly have Pride Night and say, you know what? Tonight is Souvenir Hunter's Night. Tonight is Supernatural Seance People's Night. Tonight is Little League Night. You can do that. You can have Pride Night. But to do showcase this and a virtue signal, only a stupid MBA could figure that out how to destroy their, they're going to really suffer. And just as Disney suffered and then target, why would you put a cod piece on baby and children's wear? that was just, so you're saying, just remember what the transgender movement is saying. They're saying that people are trapped in the wrong bodies. So physically, They may be males, but spiritually, biologically, in this mental sense, they're female. So they're transitioning. Well, then if they're transitioning and they're they're not different than this, I'm just saying what middle America thinks. If they're not different than female, why do they have testicles and a penis? Can they be surgically removed? A lot of people don't want to be surgically removed, which suggests that many of them are transvestites. That is vestus in Latin. They like, they enjoy wearing the clothing. But the point is that this has been seen as problematic for twenty five hundred years. Not just not necessarily worthy of discrimination. Read the Satyricon or the as I said, Apuleius is Golden Ass. There's no discrimination in there. But it is a phenomenon that people knew that was abnormal. And so you're going to take that and you're going to put it right in front of somebody as he walks in the door, and you're going to expect that person to buy into that ideology, and they're not going to do it. And they don't know these corporations think like this, Sammy. Hey, man, we are terrified of the left. They've got the Soros money. They got the Tides foundations. They had Bankman freed. They've got that nut up in Montana, that Swiss citizen that just pours money in. They get active. They they monitor every you don't want to get on the wrong side. Those guys you get the university you get k through 12 you get hollywood you get the NBA, you get late night comedy you get the new york times you get so you're in big trouble and the right they're just a bunch of bible you know they just work they're just workaholics they're in the rat race commuting all day working they don't do anything but now the right is starting to work up wake up and then what are they discovering they're discovering that they have nascent power and they have power in numbers and you just read about popularity but every issue they're in they're in the majority and so now they're starting to say this this we never in our right minds thought we could take 25 percent of the bud light market in just four weeks we never thought that we could bring target down and and make them change but we're going to keep doing this and we're going to do it and do it and do it and see how the left likes it and i think they've unleashed a monster i really do A good monster but a monster and they have no idea what they're doing and so what i'm getting at is all of these corporations can't just let it go they have to push it down your throat and it's the same thing with the with sports you just can't say okay we have special olympics we have male and female and we can have a transgendered olympics we can have People who have the biological equipment of one sex, but they identify with the other and will have that group. But they can't do that. They've got to take 50 years of Title IX progress and totally destroy it and just destroy all the records of hardworking women. And these, these people say they're feminist and they've done more. Damage to the feminist cause as it pertains to female sport than all the right wing chauvinist pigs of the last century, because they have destroyed the asper- <laughs> they have they have destroyed the aspirations of tens of thousands of young women that are marathon runners, ten- ten- tennis players, volleyball players, and they've endangered some of them as that we saw in that volleyball match, and they don't care, and yes. so they had to push it, push it, push it. So And then they, they never ask themselves, okay, you say that if you transition, you're completely the same. You can breastfeed. You can have, okay, okay, we get that. So why are males that go into female sports excelling, but women who go into male sports don't? Is that because of females have a different, born with a different muscular skeletal system, which you say doesn't really exist? And yet when they transition to males, they can't compete with biological males? Is that why? So they don't answer those obvious questions and they push it in the same thing with reparations. It's not just enough, as I said, to ask for 10 or 20,000 or to be humble and say, you know what? I don't know whether eight generations ago my ancestors were slaves or I'm half black. Do I have one ancestor pay the other ancestor? Is that what I do? All the complexity. No, it's I don't care if California was not a state wasn't a, a slave state. I don't care if I can't prove that I have slavery. I have been discriminated. I am owed this. And you know what? I don't care if the state, all you people, if I bring it down, if it's got $32 billion, I want $800 billion. But you know what I'm going willing to do? I'm willing to have you pay me in installments, no doubt, with interest. That is pushing the envelope. And same thing with the border. It's not enough to just have a porous border where some people jump over the fence. You, if you're on the left, you've got to destroy the border you've got to tell Mr. Mallorcas you're not going to enforce any of the laws. We don't want 150,000 coming in a year. We want six and a half million illegal entries, because that's what we are. We're 19th century nihilist, tw- early 20th century anarchists. We're cultural revolution, we're Jacobins, and we want to burn the whole thing down. That's what they're doing. So every single issue mm-hmm. that I discussed They have taken it to the logical extreme in a manner that's most effectively designed to offend people and alienate them and anger them, and that's what they do. Same thing with the abortion thing. There was a ground, there was a piece of uh, neutral ground where people on the abortion issue could say that in the first six or the first fifteen weeks, you can allow uh, an abortion if there's not a heartbeat or you can't detect it or there's incense or rape there I know there's extremists on the right that have zero but there that was the area of negotiation and then the left came and said no you can have you have to give abortion to the day of delivery partial birth abortion and that, that's murder and it's my body it's my body well it, I, this is this is my body do I get to do what I want with it can I take my hand and shoot somebody? I mean, if a person has a heartbeat and they're breathing, they have a right just be if they're in the birth canal and you're gonna kill them. So they oh take they they take these issues and they and they just and I don't know why they do, but I think it's because they want to send the whole system into chaos. I
1: think it's because they have leaders. Like even if you're talking about the corporation, I think you're right when you say they hire on these MBAs that have come out of these schools with these agendas. And so I think that it's in part, the leadership is taking them down that road. So it's not just random or a a trend that's happening and, and they're you know, going on the crest of the wave, and so they're just pushing it really far. I think that there are people that really believe in that. Like for example, the target and the clothing for young boys that want to be girls and having a little pocket. Yes, for I them.
2: don't, I don't, I don't mean just the NBA. I'm thinking they can hire people that are in that generation that believe that. But my point is that's yes. not that's not the majority. They're not. They don't have their hand no, on they the aren't. pulse of America. They used to have brilliant people in the fifty. 50- the reason that Bud Light was so famous, I didn't like the beer, but when they had the Clydesdale commercials and they had all that Americana, it appealed to the majority. But they think they think that that America is dead, and there's a new America of video gamers and uh, racial tribal chauvinists and transgendered people and. Uh, one parent families and the old idea, you know, of a traditional family is sort of American Gothic. It's dead. And I don't mm-hmm. think it is yet. And so I think. No, I think are, they're
1: finding that out. They're, I think finding, they're, they're
2: finding it out and they're sick of it. Same thing with the universities. It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to use proportional representation so that if you were Stanford or Harvard or Yale, you just couldn't say that. We're going to have 11 or 12 percent African-Americans. We're going to kind of drop the rules for SAT a little bit. We're going to have 15 percent Latinos, 68 percent whites, 51 percent women. No, you just couldn't do that. You had to destroy the SAT entirely and get rid of it. You had to say that we're not going to count on uh, the quality of the high school GPA. So you can go to Salma High School where I went and get a 4.5 or you can go to, you know, Palo Alto High School, where 4.5 in Salma's probably a 3.0 in Palo Alto. So you got rid of that. And then you had to say, we're going to have repertory. We're going to punish those SOBs for their eighth generation back. So Stanford this year took 22% white. You just had to do that. You couldn't just mm-hmm. do what you needed to do. And same thing with Judge Duncan at Stanford Law School. You just couldn't, you just couldn't politely say we agree disagree or maybe go there and ask him questions to put him on the spot you had to just yell and say i hope your daughters are raped and you had to disrupt it and if you're the dean you had to hijack his lecture and give him a rant to a federal judge and that's what people are angry about part of it is the, the legacy of the 60s but part of it is this new left-wing Jacobin idea that we we hate this country that did so much for us, and we're going to ram it down your throat and destroy you, and we're going to destroy it, and we're going to build it. just can't say that there might be global warming. I mean, we don't know quite the degree of human agency because our records don't go back more than a century and a half. We know there's been little ice ages and periods of heating. We don't know if we're in it, but it might be prudent. Just until we find the exact data to gradually transition to less carbon fuels, you couldn't do that. You just have to say, you know what? We're going to ban natural gas in 10 years, and then we're going to ban diesel pickups, and we're going to do this. And, you know, people, why are you doing that? It's just ideological zealotry that you can say, I have power to do this, and I'm morally superior to you, and I'm going to put my ideas right in your face to see if you like it. You just can't say that you're for gays living together or even married. You've got to go hunt out a Christian guy at a cake shop and get in his face and say, you're going to make this cake. You're going to make this cake. And and it's going to champion gay marriage. He said, no, it's No, we're going to sue you and ruin you. Yeah,
1: sure. And not only that, but you're going to make sure that anybody who has a, opinion contrary to you that you cut it off that you censor it and, that and yes
2: and you really believe that if you're a gay baker in san francisco and you are the church of the holy redeemer and there's a church of the holy redeemer i know I, I i have friends that were in it when i was in grammar school but let's say you're a a very very fundamentalist person and you go in there And you say, well, I have a fundamentalist congregation and we believe in traditional marriage, but we want you to bake a cake with the Christian family on it. What would the gay couple do? They would probably say, I'm not going to do that. Go somewhere else. And they would have a right, I think, to do that. But you know what? That Christian group, what if they sued them? The left would get so angry. Oh, you're picking on a gay-owned bakery. You just deliberately hunted them out. It's never symmetrical with them. It's my way or the highway. And people better wake up because if you allow this to continue, they're going to come after you. (laughs) They really are. They're going to find you and come after you. And that's what they do.
1: Well, Victor, let's go ahead and take our last break here, and then we'll come back and talk a little bit about the NAACP and maybe um, the IRS whistleblower. Stay with us, and we'll be right back. Welcome back. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I know that you mentioned the NAACP that they, um, I guess they they gave a travel alert to African-Americans to not go to Florida. And you did mention that earlier and that their chairman, Leon Russell, actually has a home in Tampa Bay, Florida, which is a little bit ironic. But I wanted to um, also add to that, that the NAACP said these kind of things in their warning that Florida is openly hostile towards African Americans, people of color, and LGBTQ plus individuals, and that they were warning that your life is not valued was uh, a yeah. thing they said and they were they said they're attempting to erase black history and restrict diversity equity and inclusion programs in in schools and that last one i don't think is such a bad thing but yeah. they're okay. not trying to erase black history i thought the, all those things are weird
2: they things. they well they it, remember what the left does they decline they define black history as black activist propaganda Yes. In other words, the, the icon of the Civil War was not Ulysses S. Grant or Abraham Lincoln. It was Harriet Tubman. She was, did a lot of good things. But compared to her influence on the Civil War, it was not Grant-like or Sherman-like or Lincoln-like. But according mm-hmm. to that class, she was. My point is that do they really, really believe that if you're a 15-year-old African-American and you're walking into the most conservative c- city? In Florida, let's say Palm Beach. <laughs> I've been to Palm Beach a lot. It tends to be Rush Limbaugh country, right? Do you really mm-hmm. think you're in more danger that somebody's going to roll down the window and attack you versus walking in downtown Los Angeles as an African American at eleven o'clock in Chicago, Baltimore, Indianapolis, Memphis, Houston? What do you think? Do they do they think that too? Of course they do. So there are places where it is very, very dangerous to be a, an African-American, but they tend to be in big blue cities and big blue states. They know that. And they can't when you cannot deal with reality or as Jack Nichols, said, you can't handle the truth. Then you have to print the fantasy, you know, Liberty Valor, yes. print, the, print the legend. And that's what they do. And the legend is we're and what it, I mean, it was so pathetic. If you were going to do that. Wouldn't you just pull the board and say, hey, look, we're going to have the travel alert. it's kind of a neat thing. The State Department does it for countries that, where it's not safe or there's terrorism. We'll do it for our own state. But before we do, I got to check this out. Hey, all you board members and executive office, is there anybody who lives in Florida? Because
1: <laughs> the right one,
2: they didn't even do that. And and then they issue this travel alert. And then they say, hey, before we do this, we need some data. Can we show that African-Americans have almost no businesses? Well, actually, they have the second number of small. Can we say that they're a beleaguered? Well, actually, they have 3.3 million residents in Florida. Oh, can we actually say they're not denied political representation? Well, actually, Representative Donald is Donald's is the big star of the whole Republican incoming and congressional class. He's a folk hero and he's happened to be black. And you had. What was the black guy? Was it Nate? What was his name? The guy that ended up in a room. He Desantis. Oh, yeah. yeah, he was
1: running for governor. He, I he only lost. Name, he was ahead.
2: He was ahead of Desantis, and he ended up naked with two men with crack pipes and some kind of drug frenzied orgy. I mean, but he was a he was a gubernatorial, <laughs> and he wouldn't have been a so if you've got a state with over 25 million people and you have 3.3 million people that are black, you're not going to win if people vote by race. So there was a lot of white people in this travel advisory state and Hispanic people that voted over that guy, then DeSantis. And that just goes out the window. They don't even consider that. And it's, you know what, it's so sad. And I think it's you know, it, the National Association for Association. the Advancement of Colored People did a lot of good. They were they were, you know, champions of Marianne Anderson when she was denied a chance to sing in Washington, DC. So but now it has been taken over like Black Lives Matter. It's, it's a hard left group of grifters. And it even need to change the name because the whole nomenclature, is archaic and fossilized and dangerous because we are so sensitive about philology by that. I mean, if any of you listeners say uh, I work with a lot of colored people, you'll be fired. Right. Because yes. That's, yes. <laughs> that's what I was
1: wondering how, about that. yes. So
2: how can you have a national organization that retains that nomenclature when you're the party or you're the ideology that demands every name be changed, every statue be topple because tradition doesn't matter erase it all okay well you have a name where you're going around and saying if you're going to use the word colored you can have to use it as a noun and not an adjective so if you say colored people you are racist and we will go after you but if you say people of color that's okay so we have an organization that has an ossified name, calcified. We're going to change it. It's going to be the National Association for the Advancement of People of Color. How's that? They yes. won't do that. They, won't, they think that they have an, It's like the N word where there is an unwritten code that it is a word of endearment or familiarity or even insult, but only among African Americans, which I can understand. I understand that each tribal group has a particular patois they use only among themselves. However, if you're going to make that word, which you should, and I don't think I've ever used that word in my life, not once. I may have quoted it when I read something or something, but never as a term of disparity. But if they have that rule that they're going to use it in song and popular culture, and then you have some oblivious person stumble into it and doesn't know the, the rules, and there's a lot of young, dumb people and they're going to have sacrifice their entire career. Wouldn't it be just easier to say, you know what? This was a term of endearment among the black community for years, but it's just misused. And it sends confusing messages and it empowers races. So it's taboo, taboo, taboo. No, no, no more night, com- late night comedy. No stand up. Com- nobody uses it, whether whatever your color is. Can't do it.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. It seems to so me it would be change.
2: wise. Yeah,
1: it would be very wise. And they should have a strategist. Have, yeah, I mean, with if, all of their policies, because this travel ban's ridiculous.
2: You know, if you I happen to be of Swedish, I used to, you know, when I was playing in football, I couldn't get a helmet that would fit my head. And I think I wore an eight and a half cap or some crazy thing. and almost killed my mother and my twin brother. I was told that, you know, we almost killed my mom being delivered naturally. But. Not by cesarean, but my point is that I remember the coach in high school saying, "Well, you're a squarehead, damn Swedes! How am I going to find a help?" So I said, "Oh my god!" And I I used I quote that all, but I you know I used to have another guy who, a coach. She was a really good guy. He's a PE too. She goes, "You know, you dumb Swedes or Danes with their brains blown out," <laughs> and that was a joke about, <laughs> about happy-go-lucky, hard-working but drunk Swedes versus you know, serious craftsman Danes. And I happened to grow up but in a town. But they were drunk as well. Ah, well, maybe. <laughs> but the town I grew up in, Salma, at least in the 1920s and 30s, had been an enclave of Danes. And Swedes were in Kingsburg, and we were rivals. And those Scandinavians had old <laughs> rivals. But my point is, if you're going to be hypersensitive, if you're going to be hypersensitive about that, then you should at least not use it within your own group. In other words, if I had said to yeah. Mr. Dudley, I'll just use that name, how dare you call my ancestors squareheads or brains blown out? And then I next time I saw a sweet guy, hey, squarehead, hey, squarehead, it doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work.
1: No, it doesn't.
2: Especially with a long history of abuse of that word that mm. is used.
1: Well, Victor, I think we're at the end of our show today. Um, So I'd like to thank you for all the wisdom you had for us. And um, that's it. Yeah, I'll just finish
2: on one anecdote. You know, I taught Latin for 21 years. And I, you know, and I try to read it. uh, I try to read it constantly. I still do. And Greek as well. But the Latin word... uh, or black is niger, N-I-G-1-G-E-R, right? So, yes. And yes. So, it's niger, nigra, nigrum, in it's declension, adjective declension. So, I used to teach it, and I would have a lot of Hispanic students, some of them from Mexico. I had one guy named Leobardo, really nice guy who was a illegal alien. I mean, he and he didn't speak English, but he took lap, and, and he was reading it, And he didn't know the English pronunciation. So uh, it was in a text and we were reading out loud when he got to Niger, he said the N-word, right? (laughs) And he kept. And I said, no, no, you're mispronouncing. We're going to use a long I. And it's a single G and it's a Latin word. And he said, yes, yes, professor. And then every time he used it, he didn't get it. He just used it the entire semester. And it's not a common word, but I mean, that adjective, black in any language, is not infrequent. So when I would have people read, it came out four or five times over the semester. And it was, that guy would have been ostracized today, you know, absolutely destroyed. So these words are very, very sensitive. And if they're so sensitive and they have such historical baggage then let's just get rid of them. Let's get rid of colored people. Let's get rid of the N word. Let's get rid of them all, but let's not have special usages for one particular group. And then you have to know the parameters and the protocols of when, you know, when a person, whether you think this person is a racist or not, because, mm. you know, because that this happens, you get is, some isn't stupid, there... stupid white guy or he'll come up. Hey bro, how you doing in right? Cause he hears it in a rap song or something and he doesn't know the history of the word, and then he's destroyed. I'm not trying to defend them or give them excuses, but let's just get rid of it. Get rid of the whole word, if that's what it takes.
1: You're reminding me, isn't there a word, um, niggardly, in I G G A R D and has absolutely nothing to do Mm -hmm. with black at all, and it doesn't even come root. It means to be uh, stingy, Stingy. I think, or something like that. Yes,
2: it is, but don't you remember... um there was a very famous uh professor who used the word and he he said to somebody in class uh we don't want to be niggardly but meaning greedy right yeah but i think he was he was uh punished because and can you can you imagine why he would be punished for using it
1: well Come yes on. of course it sounds like you're calling somebody uh, the n word or you're you're implying that blacks are stingy in some way because you've turned that their what they think is their word into and
2: yes adjective. but see if you use it to mean stingy then somebody believes that you're actually trying to get away with using the n word under the excuse that you don't know that uh, well that's the,
1: complicated but yes, okay yes
2: yes <laughs> and and you know what it's not even a greek word it's not has nothing to do with niger Black. It comes, I'm I'm pretty sure, because I remember I've had this come up so many times when people have asked me about it because they thought that it was related to Niger and has nothing to do with black. It's from a, I think it's a Swedish word or an Old Norse for Nigon. And it's, you know, Mm -hmm. that niggle, there's a word in an old, or isn't there a word niggle, that N I G G L E, to niggle somebody, meaning cheap. I think there's a, a a verb, but it has, it's linguistically distinct from the whole family of words in Latin for black.
1: I think I looked it up one time and it said it came out from a medieval word of some sort. Yes. Yeah, in it, the
2: dictionary but, I was looking it's at. But a, it's a uh, Germanic, old German, or old Scandinavian word, and, mm. or even old Anglo Saxon by association. But anyway. <laughs>
1: That's anyway, enough. thank you. Yes, okay. enough on words. Thank yeah. you. Thank this, you, everybody, for listening. Yeah, Thanks, everybody. And this is Victor Davis Hanson and Sammy Wink, and we're signing off.